0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him.
1: You're killing me, man. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to the Declarations of War, Eve's longest running podcast. This is episode 267. I am your host, Noir CEO Alexei Card, joined by my faithful co-hosts, former Noir director and current FC team manager for Eve University, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. And Noir FC Levitain. Good day, good day. This is Declarations of War, where we discuss Eve PvP and politics with a mercenary perspective. Joining us today for the discussion, our special guest, the most decorated guest in Declarations of War history, the host of the Meta Show brisk Rubal.
2: oh hello man it's nice to be back with you guys i feel like i've i haven't been on declarations of war in like a year it's and been i a miss minute. you all so very very much
0: i mean you can just wander in and just like clean up the black mark awards it's it's, it's really quite something
2: We surely have a cot <laughs> with you in the studio there you go i'll take it
1: yeah you know, set it set a place at the table for brisk just in case he comes home so happy to have you back it has been a while You have been cleaning up the black mark of words. I'm sure the audience has missed you terribly, but wow, what a fantastic time to have you back. In addition to the Havoc expansion, we have so much to talk about this show. Uh, We'll start it off with the poll. If you haven't caught the last episode, it was fantastic. I highly suggest you go back and check it out. We had on Eve's top bounty hunters, both uh, funding the bounty hunting process and executing the bounty hunting process. And we asked our audience, have you, put on a, have you put a bounty out on someone? 57% said no, but quite a few people had or were about to after listening to the episode. And I've got to know, Brisk, you are most likely a very space-rich person with lots of Delve time units under your belt. Have you put out a bounty on anybody?
2: I seem to recall that I have done that when the old bounty system was still in the game. And I think it was when I was a really young player, like when I first started and somebody, you know, messed with me. I was like, oh, I'm going to put a bounty on this guy and I will get him. Uh, before I realized that the bounty system was kind of weird and didn't really work. But in the modern era where folks are taking contracts like the guys on the last show, I have not done that, unfortunately.
1: I've never been so tempted as the other day. A bunch, bunch of odd smart bombers and tech threes. Uh-huh. Ah, <laughs> uh, it wasn't a very expensive pod but it was very annoying but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted i may yet yeah. get done the in-game i haven't done the out-of-game Bruzen's whole deal but man uh, sometimes this game just makes you want to choose that violence but i would really love to get the revenge can. myself
2: that That's the thing, like the one the with the bounty system, if, if I could, if there was a way that I could be the one to collect the bounty on the guy I want to put the bounty on, that would be ideal, you know, but just knowing that somebody else killed him, that's not nearly as much fun as doing it yourself.
1: Yeah, 100%. Speaking of dying, V2 is dead. Uh, we talked about this on the last show. We promised you we'd go into more detail and we will. To catch everyone up if you've been living under a rock, this is the defeat that rocked Eve. It came, at least from our perspective, seems like it came out of nowhere. The Imperium slash B2 war against Panfam and Winterco had essentially been at a stalemate for at least a year, I think, without any significant changes in in territory or, or major staging systems crushed. It was just kind of happening in the background we were covering it really heavily for a while and then just kind of stopped didn't even hear about any big fights except for the occasional dread brawl and then all of a sudden there was a huge dread brawl and then it felt like b2 collapsed almost overnight risk you are much closer to this being a member of the imperium does that narrative match up to your understanding of the conflict
2: it does, and I, you know, I thought it was very weird as we were covering the war in the North for a meta show for for pretty much, I guess, the last year and a half. There was a lot long pauses in between the action to the extent that there were times when we were doing show planning and where we were having folks on, and I'd be like, "Is this war even still happening?" I mean, it, it's just kind of this is just what right. is there. It's it seems like you know we're at, we're at a World War One style truce type thing where you got folks on both sides of the line they're in their trenches nobody's taking any territory nobody's making any progress uh and every once in a while somebody will send a fleet over and then they'll send a fleet back and but in the end not not a ton of stuff was happening now that was my view i know that from talking to folks on both sides of the fight some folks felt that that was the, the case that's how it was other folks felt like this was a constant fighting war that they had a lot of fun they were getting fleets every week and and going out and killing stuff and having a good time and i i don't know how to to try to to put those two different views together i don't they don't seem to jibe to me was that a, uh,
1: a time zone but they're out thing, they're you
2: think i it i think it has to be a time zone thing because at least when i was when i was up there when we were doing u.s time zone the number of times that in it Before I left in it, and and then when I was, now that I've been in Goons, the amount of times that we would jump clone up there, get ready for a fight, or there there was a timer or something that we were going to form for, that we actually ended up going, taking a fight, and having one, they were so rare that it got to the point where I would see pings for jump cloning up to DO 6 where we were staged, and I would just ignore it because I'm like, oh, you know what? Not a big deal. If I go up, to, if I I know what will happen, if I go sit down on my computer if I get a cup of coffee and I jump clone up to DO6, I will burn a jump clone and they're going to stand down and we're not going to have a fight. And 95% of the time, that was the case. There was one time I recall where I did the jump clone thing and we actually got a fight. And of course, I died in the first 10 seconds because, hey, it's me. So it, it for me, I just, I never really understood where the, the real fighting was happening, and trying to look at this from a map perspective, you couldn't tell what was going on. I mean, the last time, as I recall, until the week that everything seemed to fall apart for B2, Fraternity had not managed to take an IHub in Pure Blind or Declan since February, and this and was no, uh, October. no
1: significant structures, right? No, like right, staging and that, cortisar- just, at escapes.
2: No, I mean, I, I was I was told I, I got into it with Securitas uh, from Horde about you know the nature of the war, and I thought of how boring it was, and he said we were killing structures all the time, and I'm like, are you killing staging fortazars? We were killing fortazars. Were they staging fortazars? <laughs> you know, we were killing structures. okay, were they Athenors? I mean, what were you killing, random Asbels? What were you guys killing that you felt like this was making progress? Because from our perspective. Once we killed the four keeps up north that were in Pure Blind, the war kind of stalemated for us uh, in the Imperium for a long time. And remember, there was a period where um,
1: (laughs) Frat looks like it was kind of counterattacking with Brave staging, but then those were saved. I, I forget exactly the timing of it, but I'm pretty sure that was the last time I heard of any potentially decisive. Fight or or stage of the conflict, and then it just kind of went
2: dormant. Exactly. And I think perhaps in, in China time zone, there was more fighting. Perhaps in EU time zone, there was more fighting. But I know, at least from my experience, U.S. time zone was kind of the dead period of the day up there. And like I said, until suddenly it didn't, it wasn't anymore. Uh, this war was kind of one of the more boring that I've ever been involved in uh, in my, you know, 16, 17 years playing the game.
1: Well Let's talk about what changed. How did we go from nothing changing no serious losses or strategic defeats on either side to an entire coalition collapse in less than a week? I think it might've been less than five days.
2: So from my perspective, having talked to Starfleet commander, who was the, B2 Alliance, a coalition executor talking to Jinx with Brave and and obviously SFCs with Volta talking to some of those guys. Uh, By the end, to me, it seemed like this was straight up a situation where the senior leadership and the FCs were burnt out. They had been stuck in this constant worrying frame for more than a year. Volta, in my, you know, in my experience, has never really liked being a Saab holding group. They were much happier when they could do what they did best, which was pouring out a thera and killing everything and then going back or moving around and not being tied down to any kind of space and not having to do all the Saab warfare stuff. So for them, I thought it was a little it was a little different being in the situation that they were in, and I don't think they ever really liked it. And for Brave, they had just come off of Vietnam. They had just Moved twice. They had moved from catch to Quarius, then they moved from Quarius up north to pure blind. They're trying to figure out uh, a middle path through all of the great power politics. And they've never really wanted to be part of the Imperium. They've always tried to stay away. And they, they, many of them particularly did not like the Matani and did not like the way that he ran the Imperium when he was in charge. So that always kind of deterred them from joining us. At the same time, they were part of Legacy. They were close to PanFam during the war. And I feel like they felt burned by them. And so they're kind of, they're trying to figure out their path forward, which is stressful in and of itself. And then you get, Winterco, you get fraternity like the big, the big hundred pound gorilla in the north deciding that, well, we're going to bully you around. We don't like Volta and you guys won't stop helping Volta. So we're going to sit on you. And the result was they felt like they were under siege for more than a year. And I think after that, after that amount of time, and when you're going up against a group that has ridiculously large resources and massive swathes of space and is making a ton of income, and you are one alliance or, or one small group of alliances in one or two regions, at some point, you know, that that camel's back is, has got a lot of straw on it. Somebody's going to put that last one, uh, and the result is everything kind of fell apart.
3: I think for me, it was a case of, you know, the way that Pandemic Legion um, orchestrated... The 12 month aggression against pure blind and against fade was, you know, they made brave and b2 and b3 play the game their way. Right. And, and sadly for some that that way of playing the game is super boring. Um, and it's just you know, it's obviously not boring to pandemic legion. They obviously find the way they approach the sov stuff really interesting otherwise they wouldn't do it for 12 months i know they get paid a lot of the time but they must find it interesting and um, like for me personally i don't find that interesting you know the idea of um sort of uh ping fatigue your enemy into boredom and then once you've got overwhelming numbers because they've formed nine times in a row and can't be bothered anymore um then you just stomp them um and you do that for 12 months eventually i think people just get sort of bored senseless out, and out of out of sort of just sheer uh, they just go oh, never mind did more in that space anyway exactly
1: Is that a uniquely pandemic legion thing or is that just a proven time-tested way
2: to win an lsec war
1: because we've seen other groups do that as well including goonsorm as far as i know
2: yeah i mean the, the back in the old the old school days the hell duncan blue balls philosophy uh was pretty pervasive throughout NullSec. I think not every group still maintains that, and I think in the year of our Lord 2023, where the game had been, at least until recently, on a downward trajectory, I think a lot of folks had kind of come to the conclusion that that type of of gameplay was a detriment to the game as a whole and not something that you really wanted to keep sustaining because it was causing damage to the fabric of the game itself. Maybe not, not right now because we've been on an upswing and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But oh, yeah. in 2022, 23, that time for period, the old school type of, of hell, darker blue balls that you could get away with in 2013 or 2014, it just didn't make a lot of sense. But some folks, that was how they did it. And I think PL in particular has always done a very good job of fighting on their terms, where they choose, when they choose, how they choose. And being very good at maneuvering the other side into being in a position where they are being dictated to what the terms of the engagement are gonna be. And and that's why they win. And that's when when they win, it's that's largely why they win in this game. You know, if you have the initiative, pun intended, you know, you're gonna be the, the side that that probably comes out ahead because you got you got to make the decision whether you're gonna engage or not. And that's that's what they do very well.
1: Talk about the strain on on the brave leadership and the brave FCs, and we've been in a much 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 smaller scale version of this, where structures get reinforced constantly. Def- attackers don't always turn up, and I I think I know the answer to this, and I'm just laying it out there for for the audience and for purposes of discussion. But there's always the option, of course, especially when you're fighting against a larger opponent, to turn around and start reinforcing some of their structures instead. That never seemed to be part of the narrative or part of the question, the strategic decision-making for Brave and B2. At least that was ever discussed publicly. With Imperium's backing, I guess, would you talk about, in general, what was Imperium's relationship with Volta and Brave prior to the collapse? And specifically, was it purely defensive in nature? Was there ever a discussion of taking things on the offense
2: before. I mean, so I'd say before the war, I mean, brave fought against us in the last war. I don't think that they were friends. I think they were, uh, at best, we looked at them as, uh, poor misguided patsies that had been taken advantage of by Billy and the legacy guys and the rest of, of the folks on the pappy side during Vietnam. Uh, and I think some of us felt bad for them, but at the same time, I know there were plenty of folks in Goons and elsewhere who were like, you know, screw them. They 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 pick their side. Now they got to live with the consequences. But nobody likes seeing anybody get bullied. And when you've got a group like Fraternity that's three times, four times, five times the size of Brave, and a hundred times the size of Volta, you're looking at that, and you I think anybody's view is going to be, hey. That's not cool. What are you guys doing? And I think a lot of folks in the Imperium were turned off by the attempts to dictate who Volta and Brave and, and Blob and those guys could hang out with, who they could be friends with. And I think fraternity has always kind of played the diplomatic game with a very, very heavy hand. And when you look and see and you listen to to Naros and you listen to the folks over there and. You know what they're going to do with the space when they get it. I think that kind of led us to be like, hey, you know what? Normally these guys are not our friends, and they certainly weren't our friends in the last war, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and Fraternity's messing with them, and this is where, this is where the fights are probably going to be, so why don't we go up there and help them out? At the same time, knowing that the primary way to project power in this game, in, in big block contests, is with the Titan and Superfleet, Knowing that you would be far away from your home territory, you would lose your super capital umbrella in your home territory for your ratters and your miners, and the chances of there being a major fight are relatively low because CCP changed the game and the cost of all of these ships is ridiculously high and almost none of these ships are replaceable anymore. It made it unlikely that we were going to be the ones to want to go up and and take our super fleet, take our titan fleet, and commit to fights like that when our own territory and our own people were not immediately in threat. So I feel like there was never a real, a real in depth incentive for the Imperium and for in it to go up north and give it a hundred and ten percent. As we would have if, say, Horde or Fraternity or those guys were invading our space like they did in the last war. So for us, it was it was more of a content deployment than anything else. It was a jump clone deployment. We weren't going up there. We didn't have the bulk of the fleet. And I don't think it was never a situation where everybody was told you must go north. It was, hey, if you guys want to go north for some fights, come on. And the result was that a lot of people stayed home and. We never got the numbers into fleets, at least as far as I could tell, that that we were getting when we were defending our own space, which makes perfect sense. Uh, but it, it, at the same time, it wasn't our fight. We were there to help. And Brave and B2 were were strategic partners, but they were not part of the Imperium. You know, we we were, I, I would say we were probably blue troll to them, but mainly we were blue. Uh But it's not like they were part of our group, and it wasn't – and given the fact that we had just fought a war against them, I don't think that would have been acceptable um, for a lot of people for us to just go out there. And I know that there are still some people now who are a little um, bent out of shape about Brave finally joining the Imperium after so long when it seems like we were the only thing left. And nobody wants to be you know, the second, third, fourth, or fifth call uh, when you're trying to figure out who you want to take out on a date tonight. Uh, and that kind of is how it feels, uh, right now.
3: I think from Brave's perspective, if I can just throw in the three months that I was there last year and the beginning of this year, um, you know, the idea that Pandemic Legion's led offensive was like either they would turn up in great numbers and destroy the structure, for example, or not turn up. It's not the case that they wouldn't turn up. They would form. Uh, they just might not undock and actually take the fight so even though they would you know create several timers per day and, and not show up for the fight necessarily they would still form and they would still threaten and they would still have 250 people ready to to log in or 250 characters um so you you know brave always had to be on guard it wasn't as if pandemic legion would create a timer and then just leave it alone they were always ready to take advantage of that one time that brave didn't form enough or didn't have the right people on, you know, shift then to contest that particular counter they had ready. And then the idea that maybe Brave or whoever could have struck back against Pandemic Legion or Pandemic Horde's structures. Well, there's, there's a problem there for Brave in that anything that that they could try and attack nearby was going to be in Chinese time zone. And anytime they did, and they did certainly try and attack many, um, fraternity assets in the area, they just could never, ever, ever match up to what fraternity could bring on a normal weekday in Chinese time zone. So, you know, if they did go after, say, the um, Pandemic Legion, Pan- Pandemic Horde staging that was happening in PureBlind, well, first of all, it was in an NPC part of, of the Mortis, you know, Legion part of space. So even if they took the structure out, there was asset safety to the nearest NPC station. Um, but otherwise, you know, even if there were, was a realistic threat against the staging, then all pandemic Legion, pandemic horde had to do was switch the timers into Chinese time zone. And then they were essentially invincible. So it was a, you know, a very well thought out very difficult to defeat and very organized enemy and strategy they were facing. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Pandemic Legion have been leading this type of effort for for a long, long time now. And, um, you know, far more organized um, on somebody's doorstep, especially if they've got an NPC staging to go from, than, than, you know, Brave could ever be even in their own space.
2: And that's the bottom line. When you are fighting a defensive war, you have to be ready to form... Every single time a timer comes up, because you never know when the when the, uh, the offense is going to decide this is the time that they're going to make it real. And if you screw it up, there's that one time, boom, you're on an armor timer, you just lost it, and now you got to move all your stuff. So it can be very difficult to be a defender where you have to take every threat credibly, and you can't just assume that the bad guys are not going to show up. So you have to show up, and that causes fatigue.
1: Interesting on the attacker side, they have to constantly reinforce and then come back again to do it again. But since that initial reinforcement is rarely contested, it does set up that dynamic,
2: and it's something to do. And that, that's yeah. the thing like going out shooting structures. I like doing that, I really have a lot of fun doing that. We do that uh, in Karma Fleet all the time, uh, and a lot of folks like doing you that, so that that's not fun. even a bad thing, you right? Have it's fun.
1: fun. We do. I've never heard that before.
2: (laughs) I have, we, we have boat races. We have, you know, who can, who can bring the craziest thing. We go out in karma fleet. One of the things we love doing more than anything else is shooting offline towers. It is the dumbest thing ever, but we have so much fun doing that. We have boat, we call them boat races. We get in these crazy ships with crazy pods. We go out there. We see who can get top damage, who can get the final blow. We give out a billion as to who gets the final blow when, uh, on this tower. And we'll just go We'll go in a wormhole and just clear the whole thing out and then come back. And it's a fun time. It's a good time to hang out with your friends. So we've, we've never had a problem structure bashing, at least in KF.
1: I mean, good for you guys. That's right. I mean, you make it fun. It sounds like
2: it's to awesome. each their own.
1: Yeah, I and mean, a very nice strategic advantage for you know, Karma Fleet as a culture to have that as a thing people like to do. It's the primary conflict driver these days, right? Yep. Let's talk about the the details of Brave joining Imperium. Uh, how did that conversation get started? What did the details look like, and how quickly did it all come together in the context of? Things seem to fall apart because there have been rumors, at least, or, or allegations of leadership withdrawing before anyone else. Uh, it all seemed to happen pretty fast. There's definitely some painful losses for Brave on their way out. How did that go down?
2: So just to keep in mind, I'm just a line member. Now, granted, that's kind of a joke. Uh, I've been saying that for years. And I am a director in Carmel Fleet, but I am not an alliance bigwig with Goon. So I can tell you what it looked like from a newsman's perspective and the conversations that I had with people about what happened. So my understanding was that there was a peace deal that was started to be floated uh, between Brave and Fraternity. Uh, Fraternity was trying to dictate all kinds of crazy terms, including things like uh, the Imper- you can never ask the Imperium for help anymore, but we can keep asking Horde if we want. And at some point, there was a document that was going back and forth. And Chinks had, had been working with Naraos trying to hammer this out, but he wasn't getting responses. And then he was asked for money. And it just became this situation where... You know they didn't real they didn't think that it was possible to get a, a peace deal with fraternity that made any sense, so at that point they were figuring out or oh, what's the next steps and then I again like you know dunk has been on the meta show a bunch of times he talked about this when he was trying to decide what they were going to do during the war and why they stuck with legacy and the one thing that a lot of the the non unaffiliated or the neutral states as it would show up on uh on the sov maps is. What do you do in a bipolar world? And essentially, that's what we have now. You have Imperium on one side, and you have Pandafam on the other. Is I guess what we're calling fraternity and Panfam. Winterco was kind of a thing, but it's really just fraternity more than anything else. And then yeah. you know, Panfam is Horde and NC dot and PL, and it always has been. So, but they're all buddies, and they're all on the same side most of the time. So you're in a you're in the third party group. We were all excited when B two became a thing because we're like, hey, f- we're out of this. We're out of this world where it's just these two big groups. We have a third group, and they're trying to make a go of it. And they lasted for almost two years. Uh, and then they decided that, you know, it didn't make any sense anymore for them to be trying to fight this on their own. So they decided, well, what what's the best thing that we can do? Well, do we go and join the folks that traditionally have been messing with us for years? And I, that was one of the things I was always really surprised about during Vietnam was the fact that Brave, yes, they're part of Legacy, and yes, they were following Test around at the time, but to end up on the same side of the war with with Pandemic Legion, who has been notorious about punching down on Brave for a decade, it never made any sense to me that they were like, okay, I guess we're friends now, and as soon as the war is over and they leave, it's back to the old you know PL versus Brave thing. And I, I, I've still, I I do not understand. What it is about Brave that makes PL so giddy to punch down on a bunch of new players? But that's what they do, and that's 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 been their thing forever. They did it in Providence, they did it in Syndicate, or wherever else the other areas that Brave was in. They've always done it, and and they're doing it now. And they were successful in finally pushing them out. And then the result was at that point, where are you, where else are you going to go? Where else is there to go? You Maybe you can pull a test and go join Losec Faction Warfare or something, but if you want to stay in Nullsec, you had to pick a side. We're the only side that wasn't actively trying to kill you, so they ended up coming over and, and joining the Imperium. At least some of them did. Not everybody did. Some, I mean, Volta, I think, is going to go off and do their own thing, go back to Thera or or end up being wormholders again, like they like to be, or or at least move around. Um, Brave is now going to be moving south and 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 living with us down in our regions in the southwest. And I know some other folks. Severance uh, has joined Goonsform as a as a corporation. So we've, we've got a bunch of these folks that are that are starting to mesh into uh, into the Imperium, and they've been doing their move ops. And hey, you know what? When you are trying to clear out all your stuff and move it. Even even through areas that we control, it's not easy, and you're going to take losses. It's inevitable. I mean, at least I, I haven't seen any crazy stories of these guys jumping to the wrong beacon like the Pappy guys on the way out from the last war were doing. You know, the beacon didn't provide in this case, but Brave had some pretty significant losses when they were uh, moving, and uh, that's a shame, but it's inevitable when you're fighting a rear guard action as you're trying to retreat in uh, in good order.
1: Ironically, the only keep star I think they've lost in this conflict, they lost in a freighter.
2: <laughs> to, well, I mean, keep. and that's, that's, and the other thing, like we've been t- trying to tell everybody, you know, especially the one thing that Vietnam proved was there is no really good way to unanchor a keep star in a contested environment. It's just not going to happen. The freighter's going to die, or it's, or, or somebody else is going to scoop the, 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 uh, the key before you can get to it. So, I think we uh once they decided that they were leaving uh, to me, I think the rest of we'd all written it off. Like, all right, we kill four of their keep stars, they're going to kill four of their keep stars and that's it. Uh but it always makes me laugh when keep stars die in freighters because I remember when we did that when in it, I should say, I shouldn't say we, when in it did it uh to mercenary coalition back in the day, I still get a kick out of that.
0: I remember that very well.
2: That was fun times. Seems like a lifetime ago, though. <laughs> long
0: live, long live and rip, Mr. listen.
2: I haven't talked to Celine in a long time. I miss him.
1: I don't talk to Celine either. He used to message me every once in a while, even after he stopped playing. But we haven't chatted in quite several years at this point.
2: Celine, <laughs> if you're out there, say hi.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, make sure, I'll make sure to post this in the MC channel. Maybe he'll listen. Nice. What a good dude.
1: All right, well, I guess we now have to look at what the future looks like. Uh, The fate of these regions almost certainly going to be doled out to renters or botnets. That is just the fate of every region fraternity conquers these days. Uh, Future strategic implications, it looks like we have Imperium with a Fresh Injection of new blood at this point Battle hardened newbies And uh, what's left Of severance I guess And on the fraternity Slash panda fam side We have uh, Definitely an increase In their wealth generation capability but that was Already fairly considerable What do you see as the lasting Consequence of this Of this Rearrangement of the map
2: I say that at least right now, the lasting consequence is going to be that we're back in a bipolar world. And that means that it's going to come down to one one side or the other deciding that they want to go all out and and make a fight. Uh, Which means I think that another war like Vietnam, maybe not in that scale or maybe not with those reasonings uh, behind it. I think that's probably inevitable. We're going to see another big war. Uh, I just don't see a way around it. There's 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 two great powers. They hate each other, and there's not a lot in between for any of them to do. At some point, one side is going to say, you know, to hell with this. Let's go, and we'll be back, you know, like we were in 2000, 2001. At least I certainly hope so, because that was fun. I had a good time.
1: Who starts that war? Is So one thing I wanted to note is the put it earlier like these were strategic allies they're they're blue trolls i could easily imagine again it's somewhat speculative because this era is past but back under previous iterations of Imperian leadership there was a lot of focus on real politic and strategic decision making at a very macro level you know, there's definitely an argument that keeping B two propped up either as a buffer state or simply so that fraternity couldn't have those regions was a strategic imperative for the Imperium, given the consequences of what will will happen now being getting closer to the point where you're getting out economied if you aren't already at that point by the other opposing faction. Are you at a point now as the Imperium where if you sit and turtle, you're actually losing the war? Because Fraternity and and Pandemic Legion and their related groups are just getting bigger. The war chests are just getting bigger. And you are sitting on the same amount of regions you've always been, and now with initiative, no longer officially part of the Imperium. Potentially weaker than ever before. At what point is it we've waited too long and we've lost the piece or do you see it as we were actually winning this piece because of different considerations and they need to come to us?
2: I think that's definitely a concern. And I think that is why our top finance guys, as far as I can tell are always pouring over the MER to see where we stack up compared to uh Panda fam and making sure that, our Our folks at home are taking advantage of all the opportunities that they are provided by the space we have and, and our level of logistics and and internal uh infrastructure, but I think yeah, at some point you know barring cCP making major changes to the economy, which you know is never it's never a zero possibility it's always out there, and we've seen major changes uh in the past. I think the the chances of them making major changes now is less likely than it was, say, a year or two ago, simply because the game appears to be on an upward trajectory. And when that's the case, uh, the smart money is to not do anything drastic. Uh, And I think that would auger away from that. Uh, But at the same time, I've never been able to figure out sometimes what, what CCP's thinking and why they do the things that they do. So who knows? Maybe they'll make a change. But I think in the long run, uh, we'll have to keep an eye on on the uh, on the MERS and see how we're doing and make sure that we're ready to go. But I'll tell you, uh, the corp theft that we just dealt with on Tuesday uh, has put us behind the ball a little bit in terms of that because we're going to have to make up what we lost, and that's going to be uh, that's going to take a couple months, according to Asher. So we'll see. Um, long term, I think nobody does the uh, the wealth generation aspects of the game better than than the Imperium. We've we've That has been our strategic advantage for years, and I don't think we have lost it. Our space, if you listen to Horde talk, our space is way better than theirs. So as long as we are continuing to do what we do and bringing in the stuff that we bring in, uh, then I think we'll be all right. But I think at some point, yeah, everybody's going to have to decide, what do you want to do now? Do you want to keep staying down here and and sending out SIGs and squads to do the work, or are we going to, you know, make a major strategic push to try to get back uh, at some of the folks that took away so much from us over the years. We'll see. Now, unfortunately, I am not in the room for those decisions to be made. But I know if I were, I would be saying, hey, guys, let's go kick a little ass.
1: The Jay Amazingness situation needs to get talked about. Um, you mentioned the corp theft. Jay Amazingness was a, a staple. I would say of Goonswarm for the longest time, an active FC, a pretty prominent figure. What happened?
2: We don't know. And that's that's the the most frustrating thing. Uh, Jay has been very, very quiet. Uh, He has not been willing to talk to any of his old friends. Uh, I know he's talked to some of his new friends, but even then, it's relatively, we've not heard any anything specific as to whether he had reasons or what his motivations, if he had any, were. We certainly haven't heard any reasons for why he did what he did. But in the end, you know, it it this is a standard thing in EVE Online. We talked about it on the Meta Show yesterday. This is one of the oldest and most popular things about EVE Online, as much as as it pains those of us who are on the receiving end of a betrayal like this, if you're on the other side, it's a gleeful thing, and and we've laughed at bad stuff happening to our opponents, whether it was Bob or or CO two or whomever, over the years. That you know we can't we can't really do anything but nod our head and say, "Yeah, good one, you got us." Uh, when this type of stuff happens to us, and it's happened to us many times. And and uh, if you if you read Empires of Eve one and two, you'll see plenty of, of situations where goons were our own worst enemy. And this was another situation uh where that happened. You know, Jay Jay I would say was one of the most popular people in the Alliance, if not the most. He was beloved. And I think there were a lot of folks, including me, who were pretty good friends with him over the years, had worked pretty closely with him, who are still shaking their heads at, you know, how he could just throw away uh, that many years of of experience and, and friendship with us to to go hang out with PL. But he did it, and uh, we'll be seeing the fallout of this uh, probably for at least another couple months. Um, I don't know how long-term an impact this is going to have because he, he didn't do a lot of the things that he could have done that would have been far more damaging. Um, he hurt line members more than anybody, uh, because they were the ones that were the the brunt of the losses. Uh, the rest of the stuff was just corp hangers full of of ships that weren't being used, or uh, or uh, and then obviously the isk that was in um, the executive corps wallet that was to be paying soft bills and things like that. That's been replaced. Uh, but in the end, you know whether this has a huge impact, uh, I don't. It, it remains to be seen. We'll find out. I will say it seems clear to me that there was not a there was no plan in place. This was not a, a, a coordinated effort where PL and Horde and Fraternity were ready to launch a big attack on us. And then Jay would do what he did. And then boom, they would come flooding in like had happened in the past. Uh, and like we would have done, like we did with Bob and like, you know, what would have happened, um, in other situations. So to me, it was kind of a, a probably a lost opportunity for the bad guys. They could have hit us when we were, still kind of struggling and uh you know they might have made some progress but for now i think we've we've rebounded and everybody's happy and i you know we're out in fleet's last night and everybody is having a good time and we we took the fights in Wtac4 yesterday and 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 not only won the S war we won the we won the objective and we killed the fortazar and we kept uh horde from getting a, a toehold in the clown ring and the result i think was a very big shot in the arm for our morale which we really needed and we'll see down the road whether or not uh, this turns into anything more than what it was.
3: Briscoe, this is purely speculation, right? And I don't know enough about Jay amazing us to really know if this is a valid suggestion or not, but I was just thinking about, I was listening to the Meta show yesterday and I was thinking, just thinking about, you know, the books and stuff that I've listened to and maybe some of the motivations that could be behind this sort of thing. I mean, is it possible that Jay was somebody who likes to be on the side of the villains and is a bit of a chaotic evil kind of character and was just kind of maybe, dare I say, a little, little bored of being, um, the, the, maybe the new goons are not really, the new Imperium isn't really the villain anymore. And I appreciate that maybe at the beginning against Bob, you know, maybe goons were not really pictured as the villain always, but certainly in, in a chunk of Eve's history, the goons have been the villainous kind of, Perceived as the villainous villainous kind of type. Is it possible that PL are now the new villains, and that's why Jay is attracted to them?
2: I think that's entirely plausible. I think that is as plausible as anything else we've come up with. Um Mittens during his tenure never had a problem being the bad guy, and we talked about it a little bit on the show yesterday. He was a a showman, he was the Vince McMahon of Eve, he had no problems uh being the maniacal space dictator. And being the guy that everybody loved to hate, that was part of his shtick. Uh, and Asher, that is not Asher at all. Asher wants to be liked. Asher is a good FC. He's a good leader. He's a good person. Uh, and he wants to show the world that, hey, you know, the goons are the good guys. And he made a post about that during the war that we all agreed with, but many on the other side thought was was hypocritical, and they loved to throw all the stuff Mittens had done uh, back in. Uh, in, in Asher's face, but uh, Jay was an old-school goon in that regard, and it's entirely possible that he may have decided, hey, I want to be with the bad guys. That's perfectly fair. And I'm, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, P.L. has always been the bad guys. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, uh, nobody's the villain in their own story, uh, as the old saying goes, but sometimes you want to be. Sometimes it's fun to play the villain. So if that's why he did it, that that would make sense to me.
1: What is the... What's the overall impression from the line members about Asher's new leadership direction for goons, the aggressive goons or the good guy goons, the goonswarm redemption arc, however you want to phrase it. As you, you mentioned, it's a drastically different style and self-interpretation of the Imperium's narrative <laughs> and has had very, practical impacts on how the alliance is run and what the coalition does and does not do in the game. How is it being received right now? Where do you see Goonswarm and the Imperium generally in that narrative right now?
2: So it's funny because when Mitten was around, folks loved him. They thought he was great. He was funny, he was charismatic, he was interesting he, they liked watching him on the Meta show every week, they liked listening to him herf blurfs and do all of the stuff and they loved it when he's screaming eat my ass and stuff but at the same time they love Asher to death too and they love the new direction and they have a lot of faith in him, I've never heard almost, I can't even say I've ever heard any real complaints about his leadership or anybody saying he doesn't know what he's doing or why are we doing this or why are we doing that I think from the line member perspective the, the trust and the faith in the leadership is, is as strong as it was before. And I think they're ready to do whatever Asher wants. If Asher wants to go to war, they'll back him up. If Asher wants to stay home and and, and wait a little bit and, and fatten our wallets or whatever else you want to say, they're willing to do that too. There's no champing at the bit as far as I can tell for, you know, any major changes. And I think that that's a testament to Asher's leadership. So I give him credit for that. I think Step anybody stepping into mitten shoes after he'd been there for as long as he'd been there has had it, would have an uphill battle, but I think Asher's done a great job in the last year, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next.
1: We're doing a pretty great job, I'd say. CCP has done a pretty good job with this havoc expansion. We are seeing—I don't know if it's officially record-breaking—but 40k plus PCU counts now. As of today, when we recorded this show. Eve is growing and active in a way it has not been in years. And all signs point to Havoc. So let's get into it. Havoc dropped last week. We've had the first pirate FOB go online. I believe it was Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not 100% sure when it, when the first ones officially became accessible to players. Um, there's a 48-hour spin-up period where they're on the map but haven't actually activated yet. And that started when the patch dropped. But now we are here basically four to five days later. In full swing, we've seen the Angel Cartel complete the first Pirate Insurgency. Garista is probably not terribly far behind them. We've seen the first high-sec system effectively lose its Concord and and gun protection. We've seen bubbles in low-sec. It is craziness right now. Uh, Lave, you have been flying in Havoc a lot, leading some extremely successful fleets for Noir. Uh, What's the word on the ground as to... What is going on? I know that we're we're going to talk mostly from the Garista slash Galente slash Caldari side of things because that's just what we we experienced here, but it's been wild, right?
0: Yeah, this is this has injected a huge amount of plays into a rather small space. So for those not familiar with faction warfare, and um, Galente Caldari war zone is where the Garistas have interceded, and they pick Renarale, which is next to Valyria, which is the staging for sedition. The one of the two larger alliances in Gaumil. If you imagine that Sedition hold the north of Gaumil's space, the network hold the south and Hades. And so this FOB um, has dropped into Renarali, which is around about, well, it's a jump away. And yeah, it's it's creating all sorts of havoc. It drew people in like an absolute magnet, and the speed of which the corruption has been spread. Through those systems, and of course, when you when you get corruption to a certain level, it then spreads to the next system. So initially, there were like five systems that were affected, and it seems to have chained through a whole whole bunch of systems, and including more high sec systems, which, as you say, have now lost concord protection for non non red timers itself, um, and the sentry guns itself uh, no longer work as intended. It's it's just brought a lot of people into the war zone um and we took quite a lot of advantage of that in the first like kind of 24 hours of the FOB of the being online and um, no, it's it's been it's been good today the server's been a bit wacky in places and there's been a couple of teething issues itself um it's very familiar when you actually get down to the plexing for anyone who's plexed in the new faction warfare system compared to anyone else it's very familiar the ui is really good it's really informative it tells you where it is um it's it's following on from from CCP's current efforts right now, which is the last few patches have really hit the nail on the head, and this one no different. It's it, it's really been a nice shot on the arm um, up north in Valeria, that's for sure.
1: I fairly expected a lot of insanity at the initial patch drop because you you saw everyone get excited for the new patch. Being aligned to the pirates, something you've never been able to do in EVE, something everyone has wanted to do for a long time. Even if you weren't into faction warfare necessarily, a lot of people created or joined Alt Corps so they could get in on this. And it has delivered. There have been absolutely massive fleets roaming through these systems, and there have been small numbers of people roaming through these systems trying to solo or catch up to said fleets. I still think it's a bit of an open question of how sustainable this is. Right now, there's a lot of nullsec interests, Imperium included among that, fraternity as well. I don't know how long that will last. As I think it stands, def- right now the pirate factions are dwarfing the militia factions, just in terms of enlistment numbers and activity.
0: Yeah, is their, that going to be the model? I think there is definitely a honeymoon period. I think there will be a drop-off. No one quite knows just if if what will happen is the two sides reach some kind of parity in terms of numbers. But you're right, yeah, the, the... the corruption has vastly out, which is the kind of the pirate, side, the pirate kind of side, has vastly outweighed the suppression, the kind of the 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 empire type side itself. So, I think everyone kind of expected that the first FOBs going up, we're always going to go to pirate side of things. Um, and to be fair, there hasn't been a huge amount of effort from the militias to really stop them. so, at least not from Gowmil. I mean, we've 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 organised fleets and done various things, but I, I mean, we are obviously very. I think we're the smallest of the four militias. I'm not quite sure if there's really been any major big pushback. And then, then again, you're seeing kind of big blocks coming in and just overwhelming with pure numbers. So, uh, yeah, I think give it, a, give it a few cycles when we start to see the drop off over time to kind of know if this is something sustainable. Obviously, I really want it to be because it's filled up the walls of in more targets and more targets means more stuff on my kill
1: Zero, how have things been for EVE University in the patch?
3: So I've um, been trying out the Angel Cartel sort of side of it. I found that uh, I think Angel Cartel has been much more subscribed than Garista's Pirates. Uh, I think it's a pretty obvious reason, right? Um, The fact that you can kind of go to Jita and unless you see Amar or minmatar faction warfare people up in jita then you know you're kind of safe up there uh, whereas if you're Garistas, then you're going to see you know faction police or whatever it is or or a lot more traffic anyway that is dangerous to you uh, up in the north of the map so i think that's one of the reasons why um also i think you know some people just love the angels um ships as well maybe and and the titan as well perhaps uh, certainly helps but um What I've noticed is an overwhelming number of uh, angels, pirates in the insurgency, or whatever it's called, area that have completely dominated those uh, systems. Now, you know, pure numbers, it looks like the amount of people subscribed to mim and Amar far, far, far outweigh the number of people subscribe to angels but in terms of activity in those systems you know the pirates have had the advantage the entire time i'm um, so much so that the times i've tried to join in on the action you know it's just been a bit one-sided to be honest and uh, and i am looking forward to it kind of calming down and the hype hype dissipating a bit so that you know it can be less um popular so that it's a bit i don't know more interesting for me but from the university's point point of view uh, a couple of people have joined the angels. Uh, again, because Eve Uni kind of lives in the north of the map, um, it's a bit safer for them. And they've, I've had some great feedback from people saying that they've made loads of LP and they have really enjoying the PvP side of it. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really good. And, and, you know, Eve Uni itself has tried to allow people to basically subscribe to any faction. So all six are open, uh, which, you know, has its challenges. But, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of interest in the, the, um, the faction warfare stuff of late. And I think it's a good little income stream for newer players, right? It gets them doing something other than the sort of straightforward PVE. Um, something that's a bit more engaging, perhaps for brand new players. And is if you know how to sort of lean into the more LP, uh, rich rewards, it's quite lucrative for new players as well with, with maybe just the frigate.
0: Risk,
1: have you been able to try any of this out yourself?
2: (laughs) No, and here's why. My Angels and Garista standings are not high enough for me to be able to do any of this stuff. So you're going to laugh. I have been running level two Amar missions so I can get my Amar stuff up, so I can start running the Angels uh, stuff to get my Angels stuff up so that I could join to do it. So that's it. Brisker ball, vaunted nullsec player, running level two, on missions.
0: Come and join the come and yeah. join the, the empires.
2: I know, right? I know. I see. I'm a Caldera guy normally, but uh, mm. I for me, I like. Listen, I love <laughs> all of the Angel ships. I want, I want a, a Crab Titan so bad. I'm not going to pay a trillion this to get the BPC. I was gonna but I'm going to say the I first really one, I one in the
0: market didn't it? i, a bit right. a trillion. I well,
2: I'll I'm spend, not better that. I'd rather I'd rather mine it myself. That makes it free. Uh, but when it comes down to it, like, I love those ships. I love the Kisrael. I love the Alligators. I think they're all great-looking ships, and I think they're going to be pretty, pretty well uh, a part of the NullSec meta at some point. So I'm happy to do it and just play myself. But hey, you know what? Getting out here and running missions again, it reminds me of when I first started playing this game, uh, all the stuff that I used to do. So I'm not really complaining too much about it. Plus, man, I get to fly a Stormbringer, and and doing these level two missions of a Stormbringer is pretty fun. Everything dies, like instantly. Yeah,
1: they recently buffed Stormbringer
2: as well. Yeah, it's great. Big fan.
0: <laughs> I mean, they kind of needed it a little bit. They 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 have a very 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 niche use.
2: Extremely niche use, you know. But I would love like like. They knocked it out of the park. CCP knocked it out of the park when they did the trick ships. The Edencom ships I always thought were the redheaded stepchildren. Unfortunately, they were just never treated the same way as the trick ships. The trig ships were great. They got a lot of attention and it took a while for even, you know, even even for CCP to get basic things like Pyrolancia boosters working on the trig guns or the 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 Hyperion boosters working on the trig guns. They finally did that in this in this expansion. Uh, before it was a, a problem. So I'm happy that they're, they're paying a little bit of attention to the Edencom ships because these are great ships, and I feel like they should totally be a part of the NullSec meta, but they really just haven't gotten there. Horde uses them, but nobody else has really turned it into a thing. I wish uh, they were more common. But I love them for PvE. I
1: like the concept. I love the look, especially of the, what's the battleship one.
0: Thunderchild. Oh, yep.
1: my God. It's so cool. Looks like something out of Tron. A little difficult to justify, though, with the price tag. Uh, but I, I'd love to have a world in which it makes sense for me to have a fleet of them at some point.
2: That would be nice.
1: Yeah. Um, so the Insurgency stuff, really interesting. It's been a ton of fun. It'll be very interesting to see how things go once the honeymoon period is over and what this looks like long term. Right now, we've just gotten out of the first insurgencies. Another one of these is going to spawn somewhere at some point soon. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how many people move over to the new staging, how many of these pirates decide to stage in Zarzak long-term, how many of these alt-corps stay active if they're active in between the insurgencies or just there's a huge spike in activity in the insurgency itself. You've seen at least Caldari militia create a alt corp for the pirate factions so they can participate in that gameplay when it spawns in the Galenti side of the war zone. So that's looks like that's going to be a thing. Uh, I think Galenti are probably going to be doing the same thing if we haven't already. Um, there has also been some instances of unity between the militias against the pirates. Um, Sedition and were working together to kill a pirate Phoenix Navy issue the day after the fob went live. It was on a gate brawling and it was a lot of fun. So we've seen PVP at a remarkable variety of scales related to this. It's an exciting time to be in faction warfare and exciting time to be low sec. As you might expect from a new patch where all this is being focused on, but not without its issues. Uh, We have had some, exposure of flaws in the system as designed. First, just in, in pure mechanical terms, the high sec system where the insurgency is, is corrupting, there have been a number of issues related to security settings and a number of issues related to structures not being able to defend themselves against the pirates who can now attack them. Those seem like pretty critical issues CCP needs to fix. Um, We've also seen, and I guess this was talked about earlier, but it never really made the rounds. The pirate LP stores have have drastically uh, favorable economics compared to the militia LP stores. Sometimes for the same items, that is definitely rubbing some long-term faction warfare players the wrong way. And I think. At a meta level, and again, hard to say right now because of how soon we are into this patch. But the pirate insurgencies have been completed, like I said, in less than five days. The suppression side of it, where the militia are supposed to be running those same sites to get their own benefits in the insurgency systems and prevent, if possible, the pirates from getting the top end of theirs... There has barely been any completion on that. I think sedition in their HQ system managed to get it up two levels and that's about it for everywhere else. Whether that is just number of players available or the balancing of how quickly those scales increase or decrease versus each other might be too early to say, but definitely some problems on the horizon, uh, Lave zero, do you guys have, have any two cents on this? Any weird bugs you've run into, or things you think CCP needs to patch with urgency?
0: Um, most of my stuff has been based in the combat side of things, and to me, it's been fairly simple. Is it is it a war target? by you know garistus or Cowmill? If so, it gets gets usually killed and annihilated. Um, I've not actually been into any of the high sex side of things, but I think if you have situations where you know a structure can't defend itself, that that's pretty broken. You know, you could potentially lose quite valuable structures and and not be able to, and the structure not adequately be able to defend itself. I I, I got the feeling that with this kind and with CCP's record, even even though the last few patches have been pretty good, they. Sometimes their QA isn't quite on point itself, and some of these bugs are always likely to appear, especially in a system that essentially kind of patches um, on top of a temporary kind of changes mechanics that are fundamentally built into the core of the game, you know, turning um, a high sex system and turning off Concord inside it, um, a low sex system suddenly now being having bubbles itself. I'm surprised, I'd have been surprised if these bugs didn't appear. Um, But yeah, I obviously want them to be fixed.
3: I've seen, you know, <clears throat> some local chat outages. Uh, it almost feels, uh, you know, thematic, uh, the amount of sort of problems people have seen in, in local chat and stuff. Um, even like fleet chat, you know, we've had times where we've had 18 people in fleet chat, but it's actually 25 people in fleet, which has been quite strange. Um, I find those things a little bit fun, to be honest, because they affect everybody in an equally chaotic way. So I don't really mind. Um, and, and apart from that, you know, I, I've seen that. It's an odd one with the the race to the finish line mechanic, in that you know there's only really been one kind of pirate uh, site to do in the systems I've been in, um, and there's been a whole host of minmatar uh, uh, sites or whatever that that people could run, um, and I've just been a bit confused about you know well what is it that the the empire factions need to do to increase their um to increase their security um, mechanic, do they have to contest the pirate sites, right? Uh, are they not able to um, achieve any progress through the other sites that they can run? So I, I suspect the answer is that they do need to actually contest the pirate sites, which creates a bit of a strange one, right? Because then you end up in a situation where the pirates can just sort of mass in on this one site because there's very few of these sites available. So you get, you end up with like 30, 40 pirates on one site well, in order for you to compete then as the empire against the pirates, you you kind of need to gang up on them, right? So Minmatar and Amar would kind of have to, you know, pool their numbers really and go at them together. So uh, I don't know. I think it depends on you know how important it's going to be for the empire factions to actually contest these in, uh, insurgency areas because they might have to um, become more organized. Um, I, I personally I found that the pirates have been very disorganized and uh, ripe for. You know, picking off really, but they've just been kind of left to to run run amok.
0: It's one thing that I really want them to have is to give give uh, pirate militias a new kind of color in the overview. Like, obviously, my my overview right now, everyone comes up as like as like a yellow, orangey kind of star, but that that doesn't differentiate between cow mill and pirates. And I kind of want it to be a bit separate because, it just I don't know, just especially if you have those situations where militias might start to kind of work together, um, for temporary objectives, then having tools to kind of do that would be very helpful.
3: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah.
0: and I think to be fair, I think that looking at the rewards, the, 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 the home factions like camel camel the the empire factions. There's not a huge amount of gain for this. Like you know the pirate systems, you know huge amounts of increase. You you basically turn high sec into low sec, which allows you to go and gank people you wouldn't be able to go and gank before. And I think if I I'm not actually I'm not actually aligned with the pirates itself, but I understand that the, the L, there's uh, I mean, you can buy the ships for really cheap over in Zazak itself, and there's nothing like that from the from a, a, a from a militia side of things. So it's almost like there's no there's no real incentive beyond a strategic one to actually allow kind of to kind of low suppression because I mean unless you unless you're really worried about bubbles that's the only really kind of annoying thing you'll find in low sec is the addition of bubbles.
3: Yeah, I think it would almost be like the locals who live in these areas, especially high sec, have more of an incentive to push the pirates back than the faction warfare aligned. Uh, empire faction people um so unless they you know enlist in in an empire faction they can't really do much about the insurgency themselves so um yeah i think it it would be interesting maybe if like the locals could pay the empire factions to like or incentivize them to go against the pirates or something because yeah like you say otherwise what is the incentive really for the faction warfare folks, unless that that system was their home system or something, it was really strategically important. Why why would they bother really fighting against the pirates at this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, let's look at the, let's look at the rewards. You know, five percent to NPC bounties. No one re- the, the the NPCs in in faction warfare sites don't give you bounties and don't give you security status, so that doesn't matter. Three percent to militia LP gains in system for level two. We most people in faction warfare already have quite a lot of LP. That you can, you get just as much LP from doing your normal sites. Your level three reduces corruption gains, but by then the the insurgencies at level three is already spread to another system. Um, level four actually fairly interesting: ten percent bonus to web and scram range for militia line pirates uh, pilots itself. And then f- level five is the powerful is the sentry gun upgrade, and it prevents a system from going beyond level four uh, corruption itself. But all those bonuses seem really. <sighs> Situational and not really applicable to the vast majority of people in the war zone. Whereas, you know, you look at the pirates, first level, 7.5% PvP drop rates. All right, that'll do. Second one, NPCs and pirates stop and, and Empire police stops responding. Level three, infection starts to spread. Level four, plus two warp speed for air, all pirate ships. Number five, you know, disable, you know, it um, disables sentry guns and suddenly, you know, got bombs and bubble launchers. There's a whole lot more on the pirate side than the Empire side right now. And I think that's something that CZP should really look at.
3: And uh, am I right to think in thinking the Drops, the bonus accumulates so that at level 5 you've got like the 7.5% times 5.
0: Yeah, so yeah. I mean, yeah, so 37.5% um, uh, would, I think, we should say, yeah, like 37.5% at level 5 drop rates as opposed to, um, let's say you got level 5 suppression. Okay, 15% uh, the total here, you know, time suppression stage minus 1. Um, so that's 4. So you're only going to get 12% LP gains. So it seems like they've been really They've looked at LP and gone, okay, maybe have a bit more LP, but we're going to be really scared. You're going to have too much LP. But the pirates get a lot more material benefits for them.
1: Yeah, and, and even some of the benefits that the militia does get, like you've touched on with the security status and the pirate bounties, the militia rats don't have either of those. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, You're not we're gonna... really accessing that. Very often, it's more a benefit for people who might, I guess, be mission running or something like that in
0: that um, system. Yeah, I mean, it we'll, looks like we'll you see the first system to complete suppression, which is Valeria, which is set at stage. They've got suppression at level four right now, um, so likely they will complete level five and at some point, and I guess have a look at there, But yeah, the Garistus will win this particular side of things, and then Renarali will drop off the action Warfare map at least for a short time.
1: And when they get uh, suppression five, the increased sentry guns, that hurts as much as helps militia pilots because there's no no benefit to shooting even the pirate factions. They're not taking gate guns because they're at war. Yeah, we're as likely to be shooting neutral targets as anybody else.
0: Yeah, it's it's mad. Like if they if they turn that bonus around and said sentry guns will will now auto-aggress pirates after a while, that would make a dead zone for pirates. Which I can see how that'd be really oppressive. But you're right, having upgraded sentry guns is great. But no one, unless you're actually doing a, a, a pirate gate camp for yourself, you're not having to needing to, to to worry about them.
1: Yeah, it's just a bit odd.
0: But please, CCP, keep keep working on this. Give give the Empire faction some more, please, because I think the bonuses right now are very skewed in one direction, and they could do it being rebalanced.
1: and I mean, heck, having having bubbles and no sentry guns available in the system, hey, <laughs> that's good for us too. You might as yeah. well let the pirates
0: win. Exactly. You know, and uh, let's face it: if you said, "All oh, right, now you can bubble in sec, i would be like. Thank you very much. I I do like running a good gay camp.
1: Yeah, I think CCP made a lot of assumptions about the motivations of militia players, and I think thematically these work. If you had a RP-heavy militia group, sure, strengthen the guns to make the empire more secure, that kind of stuff. You're you're providing benefits for the Galenti citizens broadly, but we're also eve players it needs to be a benefit for you and i i know there are some rp people in the militias and i know some are have a lot of affinity for their particular faction but at the end of the day most of them are just players you know and i don't think doing something to vaguely help the lenty people that they don't fly with don't know and don't get any benefit of from themselves is enough Considering the level of effort it takes to contest,
0: see, I'd, I'd take the the three percent militia LP, and I'd flip it, and I'd basically I'd have some kind of bonus that you know provides a bonus to manufacturing and, and industry in that system. So it, it actually the industrious are like, hey, get this system to five, and we can make things for cheaper, or potentially giving you a better insurance payout,
1: security status gains for completing plexes.
0: Would be, yeah, like just that. just some just something tangible because the uh, the NPC bounty thing and security status, it, it, no one belt rat. The only reason you belt rat in low sec beyond if you're quite new and not new, not really right there, is you're looking for tags for your sex status. And trust me, and with a, if we see someone belt ratting, you will be dropped, You you will be swarmed by people within within minutes
1: yeah and the systems are just too crowded for that. Well, we'll see what direction CCP goes with it. I, I think the core message there is they've they've done something right because people are absolutely loving it. Activity is at an all-time high across the entire game. The environment that these insurgencies create is inherently fun, but there's still some tweaking that needs to be done. Well, now that we've gotten those two big stories out of the way, I'd love to just catch up with you, Brisk. How the hell have you been since you've been on the show before?
2: Pretty good. I, hey, you know what? It's uh, I'm I'm finally free. The CSM is done. No more <laughs> campaigns. No more elections. No more everybody running to me with all their problems every time something broke. I can yell and scream about this new escape menu that makes no sense to me, that has all kinds of dead space, but I don't have to do anything about it. It's great. It's it's. All the fun with none of the responsibility. I'm quite enjoying myself.
1: Well, that escape menu, did they just forget to code the other half of it, or what's the deal?
2: <laughs> right? I don't I've never understood like changing things for the sake of changing them. Like I can see, yes, they want to make the menu look like the other menus. That's fair. But
1: and it, it takes away look some of the good. basics.
2: It it doesn't look good. It just doesn't. And there's so much dead space. I have a I have a an ultra wide monitor. Half of it is, the left-hand side is the old escape menu and in the, in their new drop-down format. And then two-thirds of the rest of the screen is nothing except the version number, the X, say, for for closing it out. And the on the bottom right is the, did you enjoy playing Eve Online I don't know why that can't be on the left or in the middle or somewhere else, but hey, I just, this is the kind of thing where I feel like they were told, do this, and they knocked it out in like, a week, and nobody saw it until it went live, and everybody hates it. I have not heard a single person say that they they like it better than the old thing. And that, that was not true with any of the other UI changes, and it certainly wasn't true with other stuff that got fixed, like the red dot, by the way. And I'm hoping that they will say, hey, you know what, this kind of is dumb, and at the very least make it so that we can make it not full screen. We'll see.
1: I mean, I I think aesthetically it looks cool, but it looks like it should just pop up in the center of the screen. Or there was something that was supposed to be on the right-hand side they just forgot to make. Because it's, it's just dead. Like, it's dead space.
2: I assume I that they're going to put ads there, right? With... Why, why wouldn't they?
1: Oh, is that, you think, the... I
2: yeah, mean what what, what else what else are they gonna put? I mean it, to me that makes that is a perfect place for them to put a bunch of new Eden store advertisements. That's what I think it was supposed to be. They just didn't get it didn't get around to it. I'm sure that's what's gonna end up being there.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It's a little sad, but that makes sense. Uh how has life been in Goonswarm and do you miss initiative? What do you think of initiative now that they've broken off and done their own thing? It doesn't seem like they've done any any actions or deployments that have really split them or gone against the Imperium. So just curious, you're, you're in initiative for so long. How is it not being there anymore? And what do you think of what they're up to now?
2: It's it's weird, to be honest. Look, I love Init. I love all the guys in Ennit. Uh, Shines and Panda and all those guys, great friends, lots of good memories. And being it's it's still hard for me. There are times when I say we when I'm talking about in it, when I should be saying we when I'm talking about goons, it's it's really hard. And I miss them all the time. Uh, I, I've i spent a lot more time running fleets and doing those types of things when I was in it. I have not done as many of those since I've joined goons. and I think part of that is because when I joined goons, I got immediately thrust into being a director in Karma Fleet, which was the first real space job I've ever had outside of the CSM. And there's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work to be in charge of this stuff, especially when you've got a, we've got a, a huge corporation, thousands of real life players, and I'm one of five or six directors that is responsible for everything. So now I have space work. So the things that are normally when I'm just logging in and, and jumping in a fleet and going and doing what shine says, now I have to be the one that's, uh, you know, I gave out, a 100 medals yesterday to people for donating is to fix the j Amazingness pod issue for our members we we ended up uh fundraising 600 billion is to to to, to replace titan pods and, and nirvana pods and, and amulet pods that got lost and i was running you know trying to help with that and you're dealing with hr stuff and hey this moon needs to be fracked or this guy is is stealing my stuff what am i going to do about it or hey you know i don't like i don't like this what do i who do i talk to all that type of stuff. It's amazing the amount of space work that it takes to be in an alliance or corp leadership in a game like Eve, and that to me is has been eye opening. So, but it's fun, and I love Karma Fleet. I love these guys. This is the greatest corporation. I loved my SDK brothers, but this is a completely different scale. I can log in to comms at any type of the any time of day, from midnight my time to six a.m. to nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. There are dozens of people all playing, all hanging out, all goofing around, chatting. It's great, and you, you you go in and you just sit down and you chill, and it's like being, you know, part of the family. And it, it's 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 a new experience for me, and even and I really like it. So I'm having a lot of fun with Goons. I do miss in it, uh, and I think I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do moving forward. Obviously, I've got the Karma Fleet stuff, but uh, no CSM has been a very weird situation. I've been doing it for so long. That not having not not having those meetings and not having access and not knowing where things were going or not being able to say hey can you fix this problem directly uh, that is that has been a new experience for me and I've had to adjust to it uh, but I will say I do appreciate not having some of uh, some of that spotlight stuff anymore.
1: Well, speaking of missing things, we, we I'm only bringing it up because we talked about it in the pre-show and you said it was okay to ask, but I've I've got to. Matani was your co-host for so long, and I know you guys had a very close relationship with him. Cutting ties with the Meta Show, cutting ties with the Imperium, in a lot of ways, cutting ties with Eve entirely. How has that experience been for you? Do you miss him? I know he made an appearance in the show recently. What was that like for you?
2: I miss him all the time. I, you know, he was. And still is one of the most charismatic folks I've ever dealt with in EVE Online. He is capable of going from zero to a 20-minute speech that will get you jumping out of your seat and pumping your arms in the air. Almost nobody is that good, but he has been that good. And he's got encyclopedic knowledge. He was here. He had a front row seat to almost all the big stuff that happened in the game for a decade Talking to him is just, it's like opening up and getting a living version of Andrew Groen's book because he was there for all of it. So I've always enjoyed having conversations and talking to him. And I've, I've seen him in real life. We hung out a couple months ago uh, in Cleveland uh, when we did an impromptu Cleveland meet up there with the Rampage Incorporated crew. Uh, and I, I, I always look forward to seeing and talking to him. Now, listen, I know he is not a popular figure in some places, in many places he is reviled. He is absolutely hated. They think he is, you know, Satan incarnate and that's fine. Nobody has to like anybody else. My, my big issue has always been, he was accused of a lot of things that I don't think are fair. And in the modern internet era, somebody makes an allegation and you're guilty until proven innocent. There's no way to clear your name. And I feel like a lot of that applies to him and I feel bad for him. And I, 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 it sucks. And I would never want to be in that position. And it frustrates me that he is in that position, especially since a lot of the stuff that he's been accused of, I've never seen him do despite having spent many, many, many hours in his presence over the years. Uh, But I know that right now he's having fun. He doesn't want to come back to Eve. He's never coming back to Eve. He's finished with the game. He's having a good time. uh, Him and his girlfriend where they are. And he, he feeds the ducks every day and goes for long walks on the beaches uh, and, uh, of, of northern Michigan, and he's just having a good time. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, everybody that freaks out every time we have him on the Meta Show, yesterday was the second time we had him on the Meta Show in six months. He also did the in May when we did our 20th anniversary episode, we had him on. And every time he comes on, there are, is Mittens coming back? Is this the start of a return? And I have to tell everybody, no, he's not coming at back. No, this is not the start of a return. We just, when there's Eve history stuff, he's the Eve history guy that I go to, because one, I can get him on the show, and two, I know he knows all this stuff. So, it's it's always a good time having him back uh, on on the stream because he talks and can and can hold an audience's attention, and he's a big. Uh, a big grab for for the numbers. Yesterday we had over 1,200 people watching the show, and that is that is the numbers that I was used to during the war. That is the numbers I like that we are at. When we get to those numbers, it makes me happy. Uh, but there were times in the summertime when we were getting 200, 300 people watching the live show. We get bigger numbers on YouTube and bigger numbers on the podcast version. But uh, for me, I've always judged our success by how many people I can get to tune in on a Saturday afternoon to watch us. And the numbers were down and it was really kind of getting to me and having gone from having him in the side seat, him being the head of the Imperium, knowing exactly everything the Imperium was going to do, knowing our future plans, knowing the, the narrative that he wanted to spin, how we wanted to, to to parse things out, what we wanted to say, what we didn't want to say, what we wanted to highlight, what we didn't want to highlight. And then, of course, you know, being able to. Go into all the CCP stuff with somebody who has been there and knows all the players, and they all know him. That was really, really helpful. And since he left, I have been basically a one man operation until Mark came on. Uh, It was about a six month period where I was doing the show by myself. And even then, we still have not gotten the same kind of uh, level of support uh, uh, that we used to from the Alliance just because they weren't Asher's not on the show every week. It wasn't his show, he wasn't a co host. So, it's it's been it's been really really tough, and uh, I you know it, it got to the point where a couple of weeks ago I was kind of like ready to hang everything up, but I'm kind of getting my second win now, and I'm looking forward to uh, starting our fifth season here uh, in a week or two.
1: Speaking of new developments for the show, Pure Podcast, I saw my YouTube feed. What went into that decision? Uh, no camera, you just kind of released the audio over a, a couple of glamour shots of what was that a
2: Pilgrim? I had down? a. It was funny. I had a pilgrim because we were going to go up and toast this some some stuff to mess with with PL and everybody when they were uh, messing with us, and we ended up never actually getting out there. But I had this pilgrim and I had a cool skin for it. I was like, hey, I'll just I'll just throw my ship into space and orbit this Fortizar and and show off the the pilgrim. But what had happened? We were. I've been experimenting or trying to experiment with different formats to the show. We've talked about changing the date, moving it off of Saturdays, because it's hard to get people to pay attention on a Saturday. We've talked, and and Saturday was always a mittens thing, because it was based on, like, he had a whole day of space meetings, and the capstone was the meta show, and then when that was over, he was done, and he had the rest of the night to himself. So he would go from, say, noon until 5 o'clock Eastern time, and that was it. We're not tied to that because I'm not in those meetings. So we could do Sunday. We could do another day during the week. We've been talking about potentially changing that up. We've been talking about changing the week uh, every week cadence uh, because, you know, Decorations of War is monthly. You guys put this out every month. It's hard to put out, you know, a lot of content every single week. And there are times when you're not going to have a ton of stuff going on. And then you're like, well, what are we talking about this week? And I, I, I know what, the, what is this? We're, we're at 267. Is that this episode? Yeah. I, I just did the math before we started our show. Next week's meta show will be my 167th episode in four years. And we'll be starting. We're starting our fifth season. So that's a ton of time put into the show. And I wanted to change things up a little bit and see if we could you know, make it more fun. So one of the things I thought of was, hey. What if I just pretended like I'm on the radio? Just do like a podcast. We don't have any cameras. I don't have to get dressed up. It's not live. I can go back and edit it if I want to. And I'll just go. I've got patch notes. I've got other things we can talk about. And I'll just talk for an hour. And we had been planning on having the show that Saturday. I was taking the Saturday off where we did the the podcast show. I took the Saturday off. Mark was going to do the show by himself with some wormholers and do a wormholder based show. He was I think he was going to have Phantomite and some of the low set guys on. And it didn't end up panning out because his parents had a car had car trouble, so during the show and he just couldn't get over it, he just couldn't do it. So I was like, I don't want to go another week. We have an expansion coming out on Tuesday. I don't want to go without us having a show. How could I do that? And I said, "You know what? Let's just do it." For the podcast and give the podcast listeners something that the vod like the youtuber folks and 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 the, and the twitch people normally get they tend to be the ones that we do most of the content for why don't i do one for the for the podcast crew and that's that's how that ended up doing it so sunday morning at 9 30 i woke up and i i talked for an hour and 10 minutes and i cut it down to an hour and man i alec i know you guys do this all the time but I think it took me an hour to do all of the content and then another two or three hours just to clean it up <laughs> and put it in a format that was useful that people would want to listen to. And that was even more of a pain in the butt. But uh, the, the fact that you guys do this all the time is crazy to me.
3: That's Alec, right? Because I just turn up, talk, and then log off.
0: Yep, that's pretty much me. I just turn up, talk, run a fleet if you want. You guys so. got
2: get the easy jobs. <laughs> Just the worst part, like just going through and like cutting all of my breaths out. Uh, yes. was it was such oh, a pain the in the butt? Like it's the worst. And I tried like, is there a way that I can like set up a, a gate or something that'll stop it? And nothing would, nothing worked. So I just had to go through in silence every time I, I saw that pattern, uh, on an uh, audition. And it was like, okay, well, now I know if I want to do this podcast episode again, I gotta, I gotta put the time in.
1: Now, you know you've been editing podcasts when you start to learn what um looks like for each of your Right, campus. exactly.
2: I know exactly what that waveform it, it, is. I'm going to find it. I'll cut it out every time.
1: Yeah, and uh even in, like, you can try to match the the wave and get it removed, but it doesn't quite get it all the way out. You have to go in and cut it.
2: I try to do that with a, with a noise remover, and it gutted my Low tones, so I was just like, okay, well, can't do that because I got to do it by hand. Unfortunately, it was only an hour, or so I mean, it took a while, but it it wasn't crazy, uh, work intensive. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly as bad as some of the other stuff that I've had to do. So,
1: I've I recently had to learn a new podcast editing software called Descript. I can't use it for personal stuff; it's for work, but the <laughs> It's got a very unique approach to podcast editing. It gives you a full, um, a full transcript. And instead of editing the waveform, primarily you edit through the transcript itself, which is super interesting. It's not quite as precise, but it forces you to read your show. <laughs> and so every breath every repeated word, every like is almost impossible to overlook because you're not just listening to the normal flow of conversation. You're also reading it out. Oh, I say it's four times here. Why the F would I do that? All right. got to figure out which
2: one of those I want to keep. That's got to be so humbling having to do that. You know,
1: it's for every 15 minutes I spend an hour. I mathed it out. And I don't know if that's just because I'm new to it or what, but, For every 15 minutes of audio, I spend an hour editing it. So an hour show is basically four hours of work.
2: Pretty much. For me, I'm always pleased with the fact that I don't tend to say, um, there's a lot of, not a lot of ums. There are some filler words I will say, you know, Kazanier makes me, I will say right more than I used to. And I always will throw in things like at the end of the day, which is my verbal crutch and I know it and I cognizant of it and i try to stop myself from doing it but i still do but i take a lot of weird pauses as a result and and a lot of words like and where i drag it out and i'm looking at that on the on the podcast and i'm like all right i gotta clean this up i gotta cut the space here is too much and so you're trying to do that but also make it still sound like you're speaking normally and that's that kind of it's kind of an art form
1: yeah that's the trick of it you can't just blindly cut all of that out because then it It sounds really, really weird, especially at specific points in the show. So you can't just use one of those tools that will pull out all the likes, ums, repeated words, long pauses, etc. Because if you do that with just that, that hatchet automatic script, it's almost as equally unusable. You have to go in and apply that human ear to it to see, well... Maybe I should leave in the like here, because it works with the flow of the sentence, and if you cut it out, it's too, too jilted, too awkward and inhuman sounding. But the other 15 likes do need to go, because they're just pure filler, and you take them out, and the cadence of the sentence is exactly the same. It's brutal sometimes.
3: <laughs> totally. Well, I listen to the Meta Show on the podcast version every time it's out on the way to work and then if i'm driving around in work i listen to it in between and then once i've listened to the whole thing i move on to you know pandos fc chat or uh you know when other podcasts were doing regular things i would i would move on to them these days there's not that many i find there's mainly the meta show and and pando and and then in the end i end up listening to this show because i've run out of other stuff to listen to um but I I would just want to say, you know, Brisk, that I'm glad you're still doing The Meta Show. It's my favorite EVE-related podcast. It has been since 2021 when I first started listening to it. It was in the summer. Um, I'd only been really taking EVE seriously for a short time. And I'd heard about this war, but I didn't really know beyond Reddit what it was about. And it was actually August 2021 when I started listening to The Meta Show. And it was when, you know, Pappy had started retreating. And for me... I like Matani coming back talking about Eve. I listen to those episodes with vigor. You know, I, I've always found them to be sensitively done. You know, there, there are some histories there that people don't like. And, you know, there's always going to be people that dislike it, but I've, I've always found it to be dealt with rather sensitively and well. And I think it's done respectfully. And I hope that it continues. I, I don't think there's any issue with. Matani coming back and talking about Eve. You know, at the end of the day, we're all playing a video game. None of us really know who who the people we talk to on a daily basis are in real life. We've got to judge people how they are today. We we're not saying just because we play this game with somebody that we subscribe to every single thing they do in real life anyway, because we don't even know. And you know, we all keep a certain level of distance from each other if we wish. So I I just see it that way and. I would like you to continue having Mitani as a guest. I think it's something that I look forward to the next time happening anyway.
2: We shall see.
1: Shall see indeed. Anything upcoming you want to promote for Meta Show or Rampage?
2: Uh not really. I mean Rampage we we Merkelchen Merkel and myself and and sometimes Nam. Nom has been uh, battling cancer, so we don't have him on the show every week anymore or every day every more like we do, but Rampage Inc., we're out there goofing off, having a good time, playing Eve, drinking some beers and chatting about the game every uh almost every weeknight, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh so tune in and uh, and check up on me and Mark uh when we are more relaxed than I am uh, on Saturday when I'm doing the meta show in a suit. Uh you get to see us actually playing Eve and having a good time. So come check it out if you haven't already.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a top tier stream, guys. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Moving into our host highlights section. Uh, one of my highlights is honestly Lave's Hecate Fleet, but I am going to let Lave talk about that next. For mine, I am going with a massive loot pinata in Wormhole Space we got in on. This was from our friends in Vaporlock, Kira Kitsune's Corporation, the former Noir FC. And boy, did they have a... I... All right, so there's some backstory to this. A good old-fashioned blood feud. Apparently somebody in this corp, or a corp that this holding corp is for, talked some homophobic shit to one of their members, and they weren't having it, and neither were apparently a whole bunch of other people that hate this group. So everybody kind of got together. We had Singularity Syndicate there, Exodus was there, Vaporlock was there, Network came in with some guys, and just laid waste to a Fortazar and a C5, and my God, did it drop. It was 18 and a half bill to kill itself. And I cannot even speculate as to the amount of isk that dropped in the various cans that littered the battlefield once it exploded. So many with crazy ships. We're talking Lashaks, Nesters, uh, multiple Marauders. Just crazy amounts of, of blueprint construction materials as well, faction modules, blue loot, it all dropped. It must have been ten plus billion, maybe even twenty plus all told. And my it, it's wormhole space. You get to grab it all. So we spent as much time as we spent shooting it, just trying to like warp around and figure out how we were gonna extract the massive amount of value from the C five and get it down the multiple wormholes back to their home system. Uh eventually I managed to make my way off with a Megatron and a couple uh, mixed modules in there. It's pretty cool. I was uh, happy to have it. It was definitely not the blingiest thing that was for the taking, but yeah, you know, we were the smallest group in the fleet. It felt kind of bad picking up the super expensive stuff, so I just grabbed what I could and I was happy with that. So now there's a new roller mega in the Vaporlock Wormhole, and I made off with a couple hundred mil. And it feels good. <laughs> really big thanks to Vaporlock for inviting us onto that. It was a ton of fun, and I was glad I was there for the aftermath and just seeing that spectacle. Dave.
0: So uh, my my uh, whole highlight comes literally Back to Havoc. So, as Alex said, one of the things I was keen to do was to take up a a fleet that uh, we've had in the locker for quite a while, but we just tweaked a little bit. So, the good thing with Hecate is that in in low-sec, they are the ultimate mobility doctrine. They can go sub-two-second in prop mode with no mods. So, if you want to move around low-sec in a combat-capable ship, and Hecate, you just can't go wrong. Now, of course, in, in corruption systems with bubbles maybe got something slightly different there. So what we did was, because there were just gangs going everywhere, I wanted a fleet that could get in, get out, could bypass any hostile gang that we saw. We could either go away from it or just walk straight through it, and they couldn't do a thing to us. So we turned up, and we basically pulled a Hecate gate camp onto, basically between Renorale, Valeria, and al and, and oh boy, did we feast. We feasted for about three hours solid, we couldn't leave gates because there were just targets warping to it and we were just kept killing them. And then we're like, right, let's go to this side. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold, hold. There's a, there's a, there's an Osprey Navy landing. Let's just kill that first. Okay. Now we're going to go and kill the Because No, no, no. Okay. 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 There's, there's, there's this guy landing. It was just pandemonium. Um, and yeah, it was one of the, one of the, one of the, one of a glorious fleet. We painted the kill board so green. Yeah,
1: made a doctrine on the spot.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much. <laughs> I think I think you started the fleet was like not sure about these. By the end, um, yeah, there's a ping here. The, the Laves doctrine is completely active again. I was like, all right, that'll do, that'll do. <laughs> and uh, I was I was pretty buzzing about that that buzzard who thought he was in in null sec and was burning off. And I got a lovely decloak on him.
1: Well, in my head, I'm like, oh, you know, we already have a frigate doctrine. We already have a roaming doctrine in the. Uh- the Exeter Navy issues, we have a snipey doctrine and the Omen Navy issues and all these have been working really well. What niche could these possibly fill? <laughs> oh making our killboard green, that's the niche.
0: Yeah. Job they did it. We were doing it again today. I think mean, the I think the fleet out went out the next day and I think I painted the, the killboard more green. They're just every time these things have been deployed, everything dies.
1: I tried leading them myself and it did not work out. But I think it made the mistake of actually sitting on the battlefield with multiple fleets active rather than just trying to pick targets off and leave. You will learn, Alexander. I will will learn. I'm committed to learning, actually. I think the Hecates are super cool. I want to learn how to get good at them. Zero, what's your
3: highlight? So there have been a lot of uh, Merlin fleets in my um, EVE time over the last week or so. I'll just focus on one particular Merlin experience. So so we've had an influx of new players in EVE University. And one of the things that happens sometimes is we have some people interested in PvP. And those people love to join a few PvP fleets. And then they get an itch for more PvP. And then they start DMing all of the FCs going, when's the next PvP fleet? And, you know, even though we run them kind of daily, we start to say, well, not right now. I'm in work or like, not right now. You know, I'm I'm doing this. But hey lead your lead your own pvp fleet if you're that keen. I mean carry on. So some of them actually take up take you up on the offer, right? And for those people we tend to push them towards the Merlins and Bursts, which is kind of like the the ultimate you know beginner FC doctrine in Eve Uni. And we've had a lot of interest in those over the last week. Well on this one particular time we ended up I think it was about a three-hour roam uh we ended up with about 45 people in fleet which was far too much to use filaments. So the FCE was like, this brand-new guy, he was like, hey, what are we going to do? So we said to him, well, there's always Thera. So off to Thera we trot, and we end up, uh, from Thera, end up on four-ish tasks, kill those. Suddenly, you know, the fleet is paid for nine times over already. Um I can't even remember half of it. I was flying loggy because my my killboard only shows a few things. So the, some somewhere there was a Noctis that I don't remember, and then some omen navies, Osprey navies, various things. But anyway, the highlight is that after about three hours now, we're thinking, Oh, what do we do now? You know, we're gonna have to sort of direct this, this FC into um how to end a fleet, right? Because sometimes it's just it's just too much fun, right? Um anyway, we end up in Cloud Ring and it's on the border, I believe, of um Blind and, and fade and things because, and the reason I think that is because even though it was in Cloud Ring, literally it's just brave uh, in local, so they're all hanging out on the Keepstar. And it's the kind of people hanging out on Keepstar that don't actually want to come and do anything with you, right? So we're in local, there's hundreds of people in local, nobody wants to do anything with these Merlins in in system. So what did we do? The age old shoot the Ansiblex. Um, so you know, we shot the blacks for a bit and you know, faithfully. In warps, uh, well, no, they don't warp in, but they jump in. You see, you know, the usual names there's Al Razed and there's uh Shattered Armor and things. They've obviously responded to this Ansiblex ping with a bit of uh, bit of force. But the bit I loved was when you know, we're all there, there's there's about I don't know 20 odd Merlins, a couple of bursts, one or two support ships just on this Ansiblex, and suddenly this broadsword this broadsword is taking uh, warp. And I'm thinking, oh no. No way, he's not going to do it, is he? He's not going to warp in on these Merlins, just warp in at zero. What obviously was happening was this broadsword thought, quick, tackle the Merlins, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, if you've ever come across Eve Uni Merlins in the wild, there's no need to tackle them. They're not going to run away, right? That's the last thing they're going to do is run away. So suddenly this broadsword lands at zero on these Merlins, probably thinking they're going to scatter, puts his bubble up. What happens? All these Merlins just just swarm. They're like, hey!" <laughs> straight in on this broadsword. Oh, wait, I mean,
1: wait, do that again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. They were, they were so excited, Alec. It was great. And, you know, we just melt this broadsword and then everybody dies. But, you know, that was the idea, right? It's the whole like, take a fleet out, everybody dies, a few of us survive, we end up a few jumps from high sec, off we go. But uh yeah, my highlight was that, that just the just this broadsword pilot thinking that he had to tackle an Eve Uni Merlin fleet. For anyone listening, you don't need to tackle an Eve Merlin fleet. You just have to stay where you are. They will come to you. Don't worry about it, seriously.
0: It is glorious to see to see cocky ships like that basically you'd walk jump on top of thirty blaster ships and expect to live.
2: Rusk, what's your highlight? So I could talk about the WTAC4 fight yesterday, but I'm going to go with something a little more esoteric because you guys are talking about little things uh, well that were fun and cool and getting one kill or something. And last night we had one of those situations in Karma Fleet. Every Saturday night is Saturday Night Swarm. It's our, our main goof-off, drunk fleet kind of thing that we do every single week. We've been doing it for eight years in Karma Fleet. And we have Mind One who plays for us while we're doing it. And we just go out and, and have fun. And the last couple of weeks, we've been leaving from Torinos uh, on the border of Pure Blind, going up and just messing around uh, wherever we could find fights. So we went up to UMI in Tribute, which is one of the main stagers for fraternity. And Test is up there, too. And a bunch of uh, folks are up there. And we just started poking a bear. What can we do? And we're in Thrashers. And there's maybe 40 or 50 of us in Thrashers. And we're goofing off. They kept lighting Sinos on the Keepstar, and we kept killing them. We would warp in, kill them, warp off, and they kept lighting more. And it was every time we're like, "This is going to be the one. This is going to be the one where they turn the PDS on. This will be the one where it's bait, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're all gonna die." But we just kept doing it. Finally, we see Sapporo Jones and a golem get on the Anseplex while. We were all in the neighboring system kind of chilling out and waiting and hoping they would do something dumb. He engages with one of our uh, thrashers who was just there, starts killing the guy. We all rush in, warp to him, hold him down, and the golem just melts under these these 40 or 50 thrashers. So we killed a marauder with a fleet of trashers, basically. And it was uh, the people and we were all sitting there like that just happened. I can't believe that just, I can't believe he didn't jump through the Ansiblex. I can't believe he didn't try to get out. I can't believe we just, that, that we were able to do that. And we killed Loki right next to him as well, which I assume was potentially there to rip him if he wasn't in Bastion. It was crazy. But of course, then we did the, we went the bridge too far and they lit another Sino on the Keepstar and we all warped over to that and they uncloaked a bunch of uh, smart bombing ships and we all died. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's
0: crazy. <laughs> never underestimate the trashers
2: they are they are a really hard-hitting little ship you got to watch especially get them in numbers we see we see, we see it all day. the
0: time uh, we see we see these things all the time where we, we obviously you, know, you mentioned like you know, small scale stuff like we're fighting these things in the navy versions all the time but they are a versatile little hole and if there is a if there is a swarm of them yeah they'll kill anything
2: absolutely
1: We've to some shout-outs. I want to give a shout-out to Sean, our newest supporter on Patreon. Thank you, bro. And, of course, a shout-out to our Golden Elite supporters, Fade Trades, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Tane Tengu, and Tweek. If you want to join the ranks of the Golden Elite, it's patreon.com slash D-O-W. Your support helps the show tremendously. Zero, shout-outs for
3: you? Yeah, for me, it's got to be uh, Manelmere, who's been um, trying... His very best to, uh, keep up with the Merlin stocks in the high stack stage in Freeview Uni. Uh, we've, we've been through, well, uh, not been through necessarily, but the total order for Merlin fleet has been in the last seven days, maybe eight days now, 3.7 billion, I think. Um, we've crashed the market for the meta modules for the first, uh, in Jita. So I, I'm going to have to hold off for a bit longer now before the next order, but, um, yeah, we're, we're near to going through over 3 billionisk in Merlin fleet in the last seven or eight days, which is crazy.
0: My shout-out is, uh, again, just a reference to the Eve Uni blob. They actually managed to actually pick off a few of my hicates on a previous fleet, which was slightly embarrassing. Though I think that was just before when we went over towards um, uh, Renorale and we had our feeding frenzy. But again, the Eve Uni, Eve Uni bunch, been around for ages, They always give a good fight.
1: Chris, your shout-out?
2: I'll be brief. I just want to shout-out my fellow Karma Fleet directors, Clavis, Ross, Saren, Shingley, and Merck, and thank you all for letting me join the team and hang out with you all and do all this crazy space work. And for those of you who are interested or looking for something to do in NullSec or relatively new to the game, if you don't want to go with Eve University, then Karma Fleet is recruiting.
1: And if you're ready to be on the fun side of all these conflicts, Norris recruiting. There you go. <laughs> uh, seriously, we are recruiting. We've had a tremendous surge in recruitment, particularly in our U.S. time zone over the past two weeks. Uh, a lot of new faces in the corp, and they're a mix of. Actually, I don't think about. It, they're almost all returning players who have had lapses for at least a year. In one guy's case, ten years. But coming back to the game, still seeing Noir around and being like, oh, Noir, I've always wanted to join up with those guys. They're still here? and well, I'm taking my chance. been having a really great time with these guys. Um, our EU time zone is also still doing extremely well. I'd say it's actually probably our strongest time zone right now. So great time to join the Corp. As Galenti Militia, we have the most amount of targets. So if you're looking to join Faction Warfare for the PvP, this is the place to be. And of course, we are not just faction warfare bound. We are a mercenary alliance that takes contracts in null sec, wormhole space, even high sec sometimes. Could get deployed to the other side of the war zone. Who who knows? That's part of the fun, part of the enjoyment. Keeps your content fresh and you can't ask for better people to fly with. So if you want to have more information about that, join our Discord. There's links in game at Cafe Noir dot channel. It's cafe space N-O-I-R period. There's also, of course, links on the Declarations of War website and we would be really excited to talk to you. And that's it with us. Uh, If you are returning to the game, welcome back. If you've joined the pirate factions, I hope you're having a good time. Stick with it. Um, We're going to continue following this Havoc expansion and its developments as it goes. We'll talk to you guys in about two weeks. Whoever you're flying with, Good hunting, listeners.